You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 1. We started a series on the Gospel of John last week, and we just did the first passage there. So if you missed last week, no worries, you're only a week behind. But uh, as always, you can go online and you can watch the videos from last week. And uh, just so you know, if you're ever out of town, uh, we are also live streaming these services online. And so uh, for those that are watching online, welcome. We're glad that you are a part of our service this morning as well. Um, And one announcement before we get into it. Some of you guys are looking for a a cool place to uh, begin to serve and and, uh, to connect. And I want to encourage you to think Think about uh, joining the cafe team. This coming Wednesday at seven o'clock, they have an orientation. You can learn more about what it looks like and and how you can be a part of that team. But it's a great way to connect with other people, make some good coffee and uh, hang out with some cool people. And so that's this Wednesday at seven o'clock. So back to the question, who are you? Um, What a great question. It sounds kind of like an easy question, you know, when you first think about it. But once you dig into it a little bit more, it can be a little complicated. It can be a little bit difficult to really dive into who am I? I mean, what really makes you, well, you? And what's, what's it look like to be you? And what, how, how would you ex- describe yourself to someone? And, and so I, I think for many of us in this room, it might be kind of difficult to do that. Uh, Because what we are facing in our culture, maybe more so than ever before, is an identity crisis. Um, So many people just do not know who they are. They don't know, you know, why they're here. They don't know who they are. And they're they're latching on to anything and everything uh, to find an identity and to find some form of acceptance in this world. And, And the truth is, we all go through this identity crisis from time to time. I mean, it's not like a crisis in the sense that it's an emergency. It's more just, you know, the fact that we are trying to figure out who we are. And so our, you know, our identity is who we think we are. It's how we express ourselves, our emotions, everything about us kind of lives through that idea of, of who we think that we are. And so um, in our culture today, like when we're kids, we begin to try to figure out who we are. And so we kind of latch on to who our mom and dad are early on. And we maybe dress like them and talk like them and try to, you know, we, we grow up and we kind of think that we want to grow up and be like them. And so we try to find our identity in them. And, and here's, the, here's the problem though. Like as we grow up, if we don't find our true identity, then we get what we would call just a fragile identity. And a fragile psychological identity is someone who, you know, is, is, is not real confident in who they are. And so they latch on to one thing. And if that doesn't work, they latch on to this thing. Then they latch on to this thing. Let me give you a few examples. Some of us find our identity in a relationship. And so if you're dating, you know, somebody, you're finding your identity in that person. And, and so we've all dated somebody maybe, and then they broke up with you and, and it ruined you. It devastated you. And when you think about it, why did it devastate us so very much during that season of our life? Well, for many of us, we began to find our identity in that relationship. And so when we find our identity in something, we feel valued, we feel accepted, we feel loved. 
And that's something that I believe that God has, has given all of us a desire to, to have in our life. Like God has wired us to want to feel valued and, and to want to feel acceptance and, and love. And so that's why our identity is so Im, Im, important. Some of us find our identity in our career. And so if I were to ask you, who are you? Your immediate response is, well, I'm a business owner. I'm a teacher. I'm whatever you do, your job. And so we find our identity and and our work. And so, you know, we're plugging into that. We're pressing into that. The problem with that is eventually you're going to retire. You're going to quit or they're going to fire you. And then what do you do? Like, where is your identity then? If, If all of your value in life was wrapped up into your job and then you don't have that job, you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel worthless. You're going to feel like, you know, you don't have any value at all. Same as somebody whom, you know, maybe their relationship ends. And so we don't feel that value any longer. Some of us are finding our identity in the fact that we own something. So it's in an object. And so maybe it's an expensive car. And so we think, you know, uh, I, you know we, we, we buy an expensive car and we begin to find our value and in, in, in the fact that we feel important in life. Uh, by being an expensive car owner. And so the problem with that is eventually the expensive car is not gonna be so expensive because the minute you drive off the lot, it starts to depreciate. And then what was cool this year is not as cool as the new next thing that's gonna come out next year. And so that never fills us up either because we're constantly getting the new car and the next thing. So we find it in relationships, careers, uh, objects. Some of us find it in activity. And so we find our identity in a sport that we play or an instrument that we play or a hobby that we're a part of. And so we, we, you know, we, you know, I'm a, I'm a ball player, I'm a this, I'm a that. And so the problem again is that if that's where we find our identity and that's where we feel like we are loved or we are valued, ultimately, as I'm finding out and many of you have found out as well, as you get older, you're not so athletic. Like when I graduated uh, from college, I was no longer a basketball player. And, and for 22 years of my life, that's what identified myself as a basketball player. Then I didn't have it. And I remember that kind of set me in a tailspin at that time in my life because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my purpose or meaning in life was all about. So the point here is that all of these situations, all of these issues, either objects, your career, other people, we, we don't want to find our identity in these external things because they're all going to change. They're all going to go away. Uh, it's all going to end. And then we're going to continue to feel empty inside or, or like we don't have any value. I mean, think about kids today. There's, a, there's, a, there's this real movement, and, and, and you guys know this, like as, as people, you know, as kids, we, we, we get older, we're constantly trying to, to latch on to a group of, of individuals, of friends. And so, you know, we can, we can latch on maybe if it's sports, we latch on to that group or music, it's this group. And, and so we kind of latch on to those areas. And, and so sometimes, and what we see today is, is there's a group that's latching on to a group of, of people that despite whatever sin they're involved in, people are so like, like, especially teenagers, they are so like, want to feel accepted, want to feel valued and a part of something that they'll overlook sin if it means that they're a part of a group. And so they begin to find their identity in that group despite the sin. They begin to accept that sin. They, they begin to accept certain lifestyles as they're okay. And the ultimate reality is because I'm identifying with this group. I don't care what God says, I'm identifying with this group. And then it becomes who they are. Now listen, who you're married to is not who you are. 
You know, who you, you know, your sex life does not determine who you are. As a matter of fact, sin, period, does not determine who we are. So my encouragement for you today as we dive into this guy named John, we, we want to look and see how he identified himself. My encouragement for you is to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that will not change. He's the only one that will always accept you and love you and value everything about you. Now, he's not going to accept your sin, but praise God, he's forgiven us from our sin. He wants us to, to grow and overcome that sin. And despite the fact that we still mess up, his grace and his love still pursues us. Now, if I can begin to find my identity in Christ, then and only then am I able to begin to live a healthy spiritual life with those around me. So this is a huge question today. Who are we? See, some of you walk in here today and you might be in your 30s or 40s or even older and you still don't know who you are. I mean, for me, I kind of identified myself early on in life as a basketball player. And that was kind of everything about who I am. I dressed like a basketball player. I, and you know, what I watched and what I did all kind of revolved around that. And then it was over. And then it was kind of like, who am I? And then I became a pastor and people would ask me, who are you? And then I began to identify myself, well, I'm a pastor. But what I've learned over the years is that what I do has very little to do with who I am, according to the Bible. So if that's true, then who am I? And who are you? This guy named John, we, his nickname is John the Baptist. Um, and, and he's different from the guy that actually wrote this book. The apostle John wrote this book. He was the son of Zebedee. He was a disciple of Jesus. The story today that he writes about is, is about a man named John the Baptist. Now we know this guy, he lived in the wilderness. He ate wild, uh, lo uh, wild honey and, and locusts. He wore, wore camel's hair and very kind of odd life for this time. He lived in the wilderness and so he didn't live with other people and, and he preached pretty hardcore stuff and he was baptizing people. And so what we see about this guy is he didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't have to dress a certain way or, you know, it wasn't about his diet. It wasn't about, you know, where he lived and all of these things didn't matter. He was doing what he felt like God wanted him to do. And that's all that mattered. Now, when we read this, we understand that for us, it's not just seeing and understanding who John is today, but my encouragement is how he responds to the question would encourage you and I as we dive into this this morning and answer the question, who are we? Let's look at verse 19, John chapter one. He says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, he answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? Again, they're trying to figure out who he is. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Man, what a great question. Let me ask you again. What do you say about yourself? Who are you? What, what makes you, you today? You see, for John, the first thing that he understood is that John knew who he was not. If you're taking notes, that's number one. 
Man, and what an important truth to know. Like he knew who he was not. And for you and I, in order for us to know who we are, I think it's important that we know who we're not. And so the first question they ask is they say, are you the Christ? You know, the, this, this anointed one, the one who is sent from God that's gonna save us, are you this Christ? And he says, no, I'm not the Christ. And this is important because everybody back then knew who John was. He had many disciples. He was a very popular figure, very polarizing figure at that. But everybody knew who he was and people were, were tempted to worship him. And so they were coming and they were looking at him like he was this special anointed person. And yes, God was using him, but he was not the Christ. And so, I mean, he could have used his position to kind of manipulate the situation. You know, he could have used his cloud and his popularity to manipulate those around him and say, yeah, 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 I could be, I could be. Everybody, you know, give to me and, and I'll bless you and I'll, but he doesn't do that. He knows who he is not. He's very confident in that. So he says, no, I am not the Christ. And then they say, are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask that? Are you Elijah? Well, in Malachi, we see a prophecy about the coming Messiah that really relates to John the Baptist that I wanted to read today. It's in Malachi 4 or 5. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And so they would have been very familiar with this passage of scripture that says this. God says, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and terrifying day of the Lord's judging. Now, wait a minute. Malachi is the last book written. And yet first Kings is the book that talks about this guy, Elijah. So he's already come, he's already lived, he's already done his deal. And now Malachi is saying, you know what? I'm gonna send Elijah. So the Jews at that time interpreted that passage as well, God is going to resurrect Elijah and he's gonna send him back. And so here the question the Jews are asking is, hey, are you this resurrected Elijah that, that, that God was talking about in Malachi? Is, is, is that who you are? And John says, no, 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 that's not me. Now, what's really interesting about this is that Jesus actually speaks and talks about John the Baptist and this passage all together. And I wanted to read that as well in Matthew 17, 12 to 13. Jesus says this, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So here Jesus is saying, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this Malachi passage talking about Elijah coming. So it's a symbolic you know, guy that's coming to prepare the way and is gonna, gonna lead us in the right direction. His name was John the Baptist. And so they're asking him, are you Elijah? And John knows that they are asking him if he's the you know, reincarnated or resurrected Elijah. And he says, no. And then they say, well, are you the prophet? And so again, this is an Old Testament prophecy that they would have been familiar with. Remember, these are Jews, these are experts in the law. So in Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says this, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So here's this, here's this Old Testament prophecy. And so they're like, okay, you're not Elijah. Are you the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy? This coming Messiah again. And he says, no, I am not that person. So here's my point. John the Baptist knew who he was not. Do you know who you are not? Now, how many of you guys would say that you're an American Idol fan? Anybody American Idol fans? 
it's kind of waning in, in popularity, I guess, is some other shows that are kind of more popular today. But back in the day when Simon Cowell was there, man, I was watching that show. It was hilarious. I loved watching it. And I'll never forget this kid that gets up there. It's kind of sad, but, you know, let's not preach about that. Let's, let's just, you know, think about the good things right now. And so he, this kid gets up there and he sings and he's horrible. You know those, you, you saw him I and mean, they were horrible. And Simon is just shaking his head and he's like, that was pathetic. That was horrible. And the kid's like, what, what do you mean? He says, now, do you really think that, that you're good, uh, you, you know, that you're a good singer? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, you sound like a dead cat or a dying cat. And it's like, how can you think that, that you're a good singer? And he says, well, my, mom, my mama told me I was a good singer. <laughs> and Simon was like, your mama lied, man. You <laughs> lied. And, and so, you know, how many people have you seen that think they're a good singer, but they're horrible? You know, it's like, oh, how do you tell... They don't, they're not familiar and they don't accept who they are not. And so for us, we've got to realize who we are. But in order to understand who we are, we've got to know what we're not. Now, in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, it's an older book, but it's a great book. If you've never read it and you're in business, I encourage you to read it. And he says in his book, like, if you want to be, if you want to take your organization from good to great, first step you've got to do is you've got to confront the brutal facts. Confront the brutal facts which means that you might think that profits are up. You might think that sales are up. You might think that staff morale is high. You might think production is up. But when you look at the numbers, the numbers don't lie. And if the numbers say that stocks are down, that production is down, that sales are down, then it's time for you to confront those brutal facts so that you can make a change. Now, this is true in every area of your life. It's true in a church. It's true personally, spiritually. You've got to confront the brutal facts of your life. Are you a good father? Are you a strong believer in Jesus Christ? Are you leading your wife, men, to love Jesus? I mean, we've got to confront the brutal facts here. And, and by confronting those facts, we can understand, you know, what where we're failing and what we're not doing well. And when I understand who I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that, then I can begin to move into number two here, where John actually says who he is. So not only does he know who he is not, he knows who he is. And that's important. And here's how he defines himself. Let's look at verse 23. He says, okay, so, so tell us, what do you say about yourself? And John says this, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He says, I'm a voice and I'm crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way or the road of the Lord. And so this is a, another prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, um, where he, he, he says the very same thing. And John says, when they say, okay, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? And he says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice declaring and preparing the way for Jesus. You see, back in those days, they didn't have highways, obviously. They didn't have nice paved roads. And so if a king was going to travel and go into another area, they would send people ahead of him so that they could prepare the way, so that they could make sure that there was a path, that there was a you know, suitable road for everything to be, be able to travel well. And John says, this is what I am doing. I am preparing the way for the king. I'm preparing the way for Jesus. And I'm doing that by being a voice, being a voice. Now, God has given you a voice, he's given you a story, then I would submit to you that who you are in Christ, first and foremost, we have to realize that we're a voice preparing other people to hear about Jesus. 
We're preparing the road for our friends to hear about Jesus. We're preparing the road so that Jesus can enter somebody's life, that they, their, their life can intersect with the story of the cross. Uh, we're preparing this way by the way that we live and, and with our voice, what we say and, and how we live and how we act. We are in fact, this voice, preparing the way for Jesus to impact someone's life. We have to know who we are in Christ. And it starts with understanding that we are a voice. Next, in verse 24, they say, okay, okay. Now they had been sent from Pharisees and they asked him, okay, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one of you. You do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So their next question was, okay, okay. Well, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this? And now again, John was a kind of a different guy, but we don't know him as John the locust eater, do we? <laughs> we know him as John the baptizer. So why, why was that his nickname? I mean, why, why is this an important thing to understand? Well, I would say, first of all, the word baptize, the Greek word is baptizo. And so if you were to read Greek literature, which I'm sure some of you did this week, right? You know, in your spare time, um, you would read that when in the Greek language, when a ship w was sunk under the water, they would use this word baptizo because the word actually means to sink or to dunk or to be immersed. And so what John the Baptist is doing is he is dunking people. He's immersing them in water. And, and so he was baptizing them. And so the next question is, why was he doing that? And, and, and were people getting saved? And, and did that mean that they were accepting Christ and they were saved? Or did they need Jesus again? I mean, that's a you know, legitimate question to ask. What, what is it? And what John would say is that John was baptizing for repentance. And so it was a special time in their life. It was them saying, yeah, I'm identifying with this. I, I want to turn from my sin. And John baptized them. But did they need to receive Jesus? And did they need to be baptized again? Good question. The Bible actually speaks to that. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to a city called Ephesus and later he writes a letter to them and we call that letter the book of Ephesians. And so you've heard of that. And, and so Paul is visiting these folks in Ephesians or in Ephesus and he's, he's encountering them and they're like, you know, he, he says, have you heard about the spirit? Have you heard about Jesus? And they're like, who, what? No, we don't know what you're talking about. We, we know about John, John the Baptist. Yeah, he baptized us. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Much, some, something much better has taken place. And so he, he shares the gospel with them. And so in Acts 19, two and five, he explains that, that, hey, Jesus has come. He sent the Holy Spirit. And they're like, who is this? And he's like, look, you need to believe, repent of your sin and turn, in, um, turn your life over to Christ. And then they do that. And then Paul baptizes them. He immerses them again. And the Holy Spirit comes into their life. And so the, if the question is, does John the Baptist, is, is, is his baptism what saves people? And the, the answer is no. It's very clearly no. Matter of fact, baptism doesn't save anybody. Because baptism, what we see in the New Testament, is an, is an outward expression of an inward commitment. And so it's a symbol of what has taken place in my life. And so John's baptism, even though it was probably special, even though it was probably, you know, a, you know, a good thing for them, it did not have anything to do with their commitment to Jesus. And so Paul says, you need to get baptized in the correct order. 
So for us, when we're baptized, we are symbolically identifying with the death of Jesus. Jesus died and he was buried physically. He was buried. And so when we go under the water, that's a, sim, uh, uh, that's a symbol of the old Trent dying, of the old Trent is, is buried with Christ. I, I'm identifying with his death. And then as I come up out of the water, I'm, I'm identifying with the resurrected Jesus. The grave could not hold him, you know? Like he is alive. And so I am a brand new creation. I am a new person in Christ. And so it's, it's, it's this identification with the death, burial, and resurrection that's so important in baptism. So if you are baptized before you actually make a commitment to follow Jesus, then it's flip-flopped. It's out of order. And Paul would tell you, maybe you got baptized at a younger age, but you didn't really understand what you were doing or, you know, you didn't really know, you didn't really give your life to Jesus at that time. He would encourage you today and I would encourage you today to get baptized after that decision. So some of you maybe accepted Christ at a later time and for whatever reasons, you've just been holding off on that step of faith and, and that step towards, you know, baptism today because you don't think it's important or for whatever reasons. Maybe there's a lot of family stuff that, that, that goes into that. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the Bible would encourage you to be baptized after you make that decision. So in your service guides today, I believe that God is probably speaking to some of you right now and you've never been baptized I wanna encourage you to fill that card out and put it in the giving stations before you leave today so that I can connect with you this week because we don't wanna put that off any longer. That's a faith thing. That's an that's a obedience thing. And we wanna ensure, like when Paul in Acts 19 here, when he says, hey, this is what you need to do, they did it right then. And there, there's no reason to wait any longer. So they come to him. They, 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 they say, okay, so for, you know, why are you baptizing? baptizing people? And he explains to them you know, that, hey, I'm not the, Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not the Christ. I am, I'm doing something a little bit different here. And, and, and so how he answers this question is probably a lot different than how we would answer that today. How he answers this question is, is, is really a lot different than you might even expect. But if you don't hear anything else today, I need you to hear this. So tune back into me right now. You can miss everything else, but don't miss this. To know who you are, you must first know who Jesus is. To know who you truly are, you must first know who Jesus is. That's essential for us to find our true identity in this life. It's essential for us to understand this. And so what John does when he's asked, okay, 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 who are you? What do you say about yourself? Why are you baptizing? Here's how he responds. He explains in just a few verses who Jesus is. Here's the first thing that he says. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me in the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. You see this phrase, uh, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands. That word, that phrase among you stands means Jesus is here. So the first thing he says about Jesus is that Jesus is present. Jesus is here. God made his dwelling in, in, on earth through this person, this man named Jesus. And we learned that last week that, that he came to this earth physically. And John says he's present. And even though he has died, he has sent his spirit. So God is still present with us today because of his, 
his, his burial and his resurrection and he sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide. And so Jesus is present. Now this is huge. Some of you don't believe that Jesus is present in your life. And the reason is because of your circumstances. And you think, Trent, I've prayed about this. I've thought about this. I don't feel Jesus. I'm kind of numb to the whole thing. And, and I've prayed and he hasn't responded. And, and what I'm going through, it doesn't really feel like Jesus is actually here. But I'm telling you, the Bible is clear that he is present. He's present in your life. He's present to, to guide you in all understanding and truth. He's there to guide you in making that decision. He's there to guide you and help you to understand who you're not. As a matter of fact, we've got to realize that we're not the sin that's in our life. Some of you have identified yourself with a particular sin and, and he's present in your life. He's forgiven you and you are not defined by that sin. Some of you allow yourself to feel guilty and ashamed of the same thing over and over again. And it's something that you did years ago. And it's like, listen, listen, that's not who you are. That act in the past, that sin in your past is not what defines you today. Jesus is present in your life. He's forgiven you. He's made you a new creation. But that's not the only thing he says. Next, he says that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Well, the way that I know that is because there was a, a statement that was going around at that time that all of the, the Jews would have been very familiar with because a, a rabbi would choose his disciples. And so if you wanted to, to follow this rabbi, there was a famous saying that, that I'll paraphrase, it basically meant that if you're gonna be a disciple of somebody, that you're gonna have to do everything that a slave would do for his master, for that rabbi, except for untie his sandals. Because that's just gross, <laughs> you know? It's like athlete's foot, sandals, dirt. It's, that's, low, that's low down, you know? I, I'm not touching homeboy's feet, right? So we're not going that far. And John says, no, he's worthy. He's so worthy that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals for him. That's how worthy this Jesus is. See, he's present and he's worthy of all of your attention. He's worthy of all of your focus. He's worthy of all of your energy. And I believe he's calling out to us today, just, just pleading with us to find our identity in him and to stop searching for that career and that object and that relationship that you think is gonna finally make you feel valuable. Because at the end of the day, it will leave you empty and you'll jump back into the cycle that will lead you back in the same dark areas. And he says, I am your identity. I am present and I am worthy. And then next he says that Jesus has a purpose for us. Look at verse 31. He says this, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John says, here's my purpose. I'm baptizing so that I can begin to reveal who this Messiah is, who this, this Jesus is. John had a purpose. God has given each of us a purpose in very, I mean, at the center of that purpose. Listen, your life, we can, we can really boil it down to this. God's gonna give you a job. He's gonna give you a family. He's gonna give you friends. He's gonna give, your, give you hobbies. And all of these things are roads. They are avenues for you and I to reveal Jesus to other people. And if we're not embracing that part of our identity, of course, you're gonna walk in here feeling empty. Of course, you're gonna be frustrated in life because you're not living the very thing that God created you to live. And to do, he says, I'm baptizing because this is my purpose. And you see, he has a purpose for your life. 
Jesus himself had a purpose. He calls him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that was his purpose to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and, and so that we could have a right relationship with God. You see, our creator, he doesn't do anything on accident. He doesn't do anything, you know, half-heartedly. Everything he does is on purpose. It's intentional and he means to do it, which means that you're not an accident. It means that the experience that you have gone through have led you to this point. You're not here by accident. God's got a purpose and a plan for you no matter what you've faced, no matter what you've experienced. There's more in store for you. Don't find your identity in that past. Find your identity in who Jesus is today. He has a purpose for your life. And, and that purpose is to be that voice revealing who Jesus is. I am Kristen McCarge and I am a wife, a mother, a friend, and a Christ follower. I started attending church when I was about nine years old, and um, I was baptized when I was 13, and I, I pretty much grew up in church. Um, I knew the Lord and knew what He expected of me and what He wanted out of me, and I got to a point when I was a teenager that I decided I was going to do what I wanted to do instead. Um, when I turned 16, I met and thought I fell in love with um, a young guy that I was working with and we decided to do what we wanted to do and disobey the Lord and we had a baby at 17. We were married at 18 and divorced at 18. I thought, you know, who, who could love me now? Who could want me now? Look at look at what's happened to me and what I've become. And so I started down this really self-destructive road where I um, kind of cut out some of the important people in my life and started focusing on not so healthy relationships with different men. And even though I was working and going to school, I was partying on the weekends, um, going to the club. I was a regular there. And, um, you know, this went on for years. And it really didn't take a turn until I met my now husband because I just couldn't believe that somebody that was as warm and loving and generous could still want me despite um, all of my flaws and all of my past, but he did. You know, the Lord was starting to shake me up and he was like, yeah, Kristen, I, I still want you too. And uh, there's nothing that you can do that could make me not want you. We really, uh, we really need to get back on track and get into church. And I decided, you know, I really want to do something positive. I really want to do something to give back and uh, make a difference. So the Lord handed me the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, and there I had the opportunity to kind of share my story. And, you know, I wanted to give hope to other women who, you know, were maybe facing a teen pregnancy that somebody is still out there for them. They can still live their life for the Lord. They can still graduate from college and be successful people. At that point, I met Greg and Trent because they came to the Pregnancy Resource Center and wanted to know about partnering with them and, you know, getting involved in local missions. When we come to Foothills, we just knew that that was where we wanted to be and where we needed to be. And we never left. <laughs> 
So now um, I'm trying to help in Sprout and help with the hospitality team and help with local missions. My life was very self-destructive and self-involved and even though I tried to justify it, you could only do that for so long because I knew better and um, I just sh shut the Lord out and I didn't care about the consequences. Um, and it, it had to get to the lowest point before I finally just stopped and listened. I know that my role as a believer is to lead others to Christ and to be that voice for Him, and I am that voice. Powerful story of someone who has indeed begun to, to figure this out like the, the, the pain and the struggles that she experienced early on in her life led her not, you know, for a season led her down a spiral of, of some bad decisions and some bad choices where she was trying to latch her identity onto this guy, into this event, into this lifestyle. But all of it led her to more and more emptiness. And it wasn't until she found her purpose and identity in Christ that she truly found the reason why she is here. And so God takes all of the pain and, and all of the mistakes and, and places someone like her in, in, in that ministry opportunity to encourage young girls to challenge them and, and, and pave the way for Jesus to enter, to, to be a, 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 this road that says, you know what, Here, here's the road that I went down. And bro, I'm telling you, it will leave you heartbroken. Make sure you take this road. It leads to life. It leads to salvation, it leads to hope. And so for some of you here today, my encouragement and my, my prayer is that as you are seeking him out, I know you are because you're here, and as you're seeking him out to truly begin to, to not identify yourself as that person in the past, to begin to isolate yourself from your sin and say, you know what, just because I've made that mistake, that's not who I am. That's not who I'm gonna be. God has something better for me. He's got a purpose for me. He's got a plan for me. And I'm gonna embrace that plan. I'm gonna be that voice that's gonna point others to Jesus. See, the last thing that, that John points to in our scripture today is not only does Jesus has a purpose for us, is he present, is he worthy, but he also provides power. In verse 33, it says that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So how powerful it is like when we accept Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. And folks, that's a power that we can't even comprehend, a power to overcome the dark parts of our lives, the, the power to overcome that sin, the power to be able to, to turn that bad story into a God story. And that's what He wants from you today. He wants you to begin to use your story to point people to Jesus. Now, last week, some of you took the homework and you wrote your story down on a note card. You put it on your refrigerator. That was the short version. That was the 60 seconds or less version. And if you did that today, uh, Pastor James is gonna give you $100. So make sure you talk to him and provide that for you. Just kidding. Homework this week is to go online, foothillschurch.com slash John. It's where all of our resources uh, for this series are gonna be. And there's a tab there that says, My Story. I encourage you to go there, download that form, and um, 
work through it. Because when you work through those questions, when you begin to uh, track your life story through those questions, you'll, by the end of it, you'll know what your story is. And you'll be able to use that story to point other people to Jesus. That's my homework for you. I hope you do that. For some of you, you've never accepted Christ into your life. And so the most important decision you'll ever make, and I wanna plead with you today not to wait another day to receive Jesus into your life. He has the power and strength that you need to understand your purpose. And, and, and in order to have him in your life, you know, we, we repent and turn of our sin and we, we follow his plan. We follow his purpose. And before you walk out this building, I wanna encourage you to go to the prayer and care room. It's right on your left as you walk out of this room. And we've got volunteers that would love to pray with you and encourage you and what it looks like and what it means to actually receive Jesus into your life. And finally, for those of you that are, have, have done all of, all of that, you're good. Here's my, here's my encouragement for you. It's to repeat this prayer this, this week. It's a, a short prayer, but a simple prayer. And I wanna encourage you to pray this every single day this week. God, give me the wisdom to know who I am and to know who I'm not and to use my voice to say what I got. What a powerful prayer. What a simple prayer, but powerful prayer. And if you don't have a consistent prayer life, man, just start with this every day this week. Matter of fact, let's read it together. Can we do that? Let's read it out loud. Ready, go. God, give me the wisdom to know who I am and know who I'm not, and to use my voice to say what I've got. May we leave today with that voice, with that story ever on our lips. So no matter who we run into today, no matter what we face tomorrow, that we are ready to share that story and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love and your power. Thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which means, Lord, that you had purpose. You don't create anything or do anything by accident. You do all things on purpose. You're intentional. Lord, help us to see that and help us to embrace that in our own lives today. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and giving us the freedom from sin giving us power and strength to live in this world. Lord, give us strength as we leave. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday for part three of the Gospel of John.